Welcome to The Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts us all. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. This episode of The Broadband Bunch is sponsored by ETI Software, your zero-touch automation experts. By Calix, simplify, excite, grow. By DXTEL, creators of the Harper Broadband Marketing Library. By ITK Solutions Group, process first, technology second. And by Utopia Fiber, building a more connected nation. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm Joe Coldabella, your host for this episode. Joining me is Patrick Sherrill, the General Manager for Polka Lambro Cooperative, located in West Texas. Patrick, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Hey, Joe. Thanks. Good to be with you this morning. Awesome. So really excited to share your story um, about Polka Lambro. Before we do that, I would love if you could sort of um, give the folks um, a little bit about your 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 backstory, your, your broadband journey. Yeah. So um, I moved to Lubbock, Texas and to, let's see, 1995 to go to graduate school at Texas Tech. And I got a job uh, working at an engineering firm that happened to specialize in building rural telephone networks. So 1995, the internet was barely a thing. Um, and yeah. broadband really wasn't a thing. Everything was dial-up. So we were focused on telephone networks in rural areas. Sure. And it was just kind of my job, you know, working my way through graduate school. But what a lucky break for me to end up in this industry and be there uh, before broadband really started and get to be a part of that. I just I look back at that and I think I'm so fortunate. A little interesting side story about that engagement. The first project that I ever worked on uh, – at the engineering firm was Pocalambro. So I uh, didn't come back around to Pocalambro for another 25-ish years, but uh, kind of funny that that's where my career started. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was it was something that was uh, a fun story to tell when I was interviewing for this job. But um, So with the engineering firm, I finished graduate school. They offered me a position. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out here. Uh, that eventually moved me out west to Arizona. Uh, one of the clients that I was working out, uh, working with in Arizona needed a manager, and so uh, they offered me the position. That's where I moved over to the operations side. I guess that would have been 2006. Um, it was a small company serving a rural area on the fringes of Metro Phoenix and had to figure out how to grow real fast. And so I jumped in there and... Uh, uh, back in 2006, we were building fiber to the home networks and uh, figuring out how to uh, position ourselves competitively and offer a good broadband product. So cut my teeth doing that and did that for, uh, gosh, I think 14 years. And like any good Texan, it was, it was time to come back home. So I uh, started looking for opportunities to come back and Polk Lambro position came open. I was lucky enough to get uh, the job here. I've been here almost three years now. And similar uh, uh, experience here is a company that uh, had a lot of growth opportunities and 
uh, was looking to leverage out what it had built and, and kind of expand uh, its customer base. And so we jumped in and started doing that. Our baseline subscriber base has grown about 20% per year since I've been here. And uh, wow. we did we did an acquisition that um, more than doubled our subscriber base. So we've been busy here and it's been fun and I'm just really thankful to have landed in this career field. No, that, that's that's an awesome uh, uh, little setup. Uh, so it's funny when I heard the name Polka Lambro, especially for Texas, I was I, I was kind of confused by the name for a co-op in, in West Texas. But as soon as I heard the story behind it, it made it made perfect sense. So y- you guys started as a, t- a telephone co-op in the fifties. If you could share the the history and sort of the, the background and the evolution, that would be awesome. Yeah, you bet. Uh, it was nineteen fifty when that. A cooperative was actually formed. It was born out of uh, the electric co-op that had been formed a four year, a few years prior. And there were some government programs that provided financing for phone networks. And so they said, hey, let's let's form a, a telephone cooperative. And so they got together in 1950, formed that cooperative. Uh, the area at that time was a little smaller, but the co cooperative areas and now about 4,000 square miles now. Uh, so it's quite a bit of rural area, a lot of farmland. Uh, and so as they formed it, you know, trying to figure out what to name it, uh, there were four major trade centers uh, in the service area. None of these were actually part of the co-op area, but they were the places that, uh, you know, everybody went and brought their, their cotton and their crops to come in and, and buy and sell. And the names of those four communities were Post, Tahoka, which is the Poca, and then La Mesa and Brownfield, which is the Lambro. So that's how we got our name. No, I, I love it. It's just one of those things where it just it just reemphasizes the sense of community. And just for, for the listeners, in terms of a context for 4,000 square miles, I'm currently in the state of Connecticut, which is a, a little over 4,000 square miles, just to give a little context, everybody, you, you guys in Texas do everything bigger. <laughs> yeah, we like things big and uh, we do have quite a, a spread out area, but uh, being rural, it's, you know, there's not a, a lot of density inside of our area. So we have to figure out how to deal with those challenges. So it, just in terms of challenges, so it's obviously in, in rural America, it's an older population. And some folks they they want to hold on to their their landline. Um, you know, as as your roots are a telephone company, and you guys are transitioning to fiber, is is that something that uh, is a mandatory for 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 your customers? How does that work? Uh, it's not. We we did start our life as a, a regulated phone company. We're still uh, regulated as an incumbent local exchange carrier. If anybody knows what what that means but uh so we are accountable to the public utilities commission we okay. have tariffs things like that uh but in in the funding that helps you survive as a rural carrier has always been tied to those rules in the phone system and so uh, for a long time the way those rules were structured you had to uh you know make sure that your end user was connected to a phone line uh, even if all they wanted was broadband. A few years ago, uh, the FCC made an order that uh, gave you an option to choose uh, 
whether you wanted to force the customer to take a phone line or if you could let them choose broadband only. And we chose to uh, pursue that option. We knew our consumers, uh, by and large, the phone line was less of an issue that a lot of them use in cell phones. Um, and so we, cho- we chose to um, use that regulatory option. We saw, and fortunately, we did this before COVID happened. And when COVID happened, you know, broadband lines have shot up uh, exponentially. And, uh, and phone lines have declined slightly. But, you know, for a lot of folks in rural areas, they can't depend on their cell phone. They just don't have adequate cell phone coverage. And so that landline is still important to them. So it's still an important part of our business and something that we uh, put a lot of effort and energy into. Uh, but definitely, uh, when we think about our future and how to how to grow, uh, our our focus is on broadband. No, that that's great. I love that you guys sort of straddle the line in terms of like you know you 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 pay homage to your to your history, but you're also looking forward um, because obviously you know broadband is our future. Mm-hmm. So, um, in terms of just population size, obviously four thousand square miles. What sort of communities do you guys um, sort of cover? So we have uh, communities as large as uh, 9,500 population. I think there's two communities that are right around that uh, okay. that size. Um, a few other towns around five to 5,000, 2,000. And then we've got uh, little farming communities that, you know, have a population of 100 or 50. And then, of course, you go out from there and we've got, the actual farms that are, you know, just uh, a farmhouse surrounded by a square mile of land. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, you know, when, when folks suggest that covering those smaller towns, just, it, it doesn't make sense if you want everyone to participate in the modern economy is so what sort of feedback are you getting from the folks when you do bring um, fiber to their area? Oh, they're extremely excited. Um, and the thing that I try to always point out to everybody that really doesn't think much about rural communities and, and rural areas is in our area, we produce a whole lot of cotton. Uh, we produce wine grapes. Of course, there's ranches that, uh, you know, have cattle. Um, we also have quite a, a large, uh, array of, uh, wind farms. So the big, uh, you know, windmills out in our service area, we've got a huge uh, solar farm that's in our area. And all of these things require space. And so they're going to happen in a rural area, but they also require people. And those people uh, and their businesses, they need to be able to have broadband to be connected. At their home, they need broadband. Their kids need broadband when they go to school. They need broadband at home. So it's really important not just for the rural areas and rural consumers, but these products that we produce in the rural areas are consumed by people in the urban areas. So having everybody connected to a network is incredibly important. And so we feel pretty passionate about what we do and uh, pretty uh, excited to be a part of this rural economy and contribute to the greater American economy. No, that's great in terms of, and it's funny, like when you said uh, solar farms, get it, uh, wind farms get it, agriculture get it. So Texas is, is a big wine uh, hotspot. I didn't know that. If you haven't had a Texas wine, you should go try one. Uh, okay. 
And, uh, and, and a lot of the Texas wines, uh, folks go to what's what we call the hill country around San Antonio. Uh, they go down there and there's resorts and there's wineries and, and they, they consume their wine there. It's a great place to go. I recommend a trip. But what you don't realize, unless you really pay attention, is that a lot of those wines are made with grapes that come from West Texas, where we've got this, you know, we can do farming at scale. Um, in fact, the statistic that I read recently is 80% of the Texas wine grapes uh, are grown up here on the South Plains. So produce a lot of it. And it's good quality stuff. So, yeah, I encourage everybody who hasn't tried a Texas wine to give it a try. No, that's great. I was actually in Houston uh, about six weeks ago, and I had uh, Texas barbecue um, from a small little joint. And it was amazing, uh, unbelievable. And uh, as living in Connecticut, it's like we've got pizza covered, but um, Texas barbecue is is another level. Oh, yeah. We're, we're pretty proud about our barbecue and the, the secret in about Texas barbecue is that the best place to get it is the place that looks the most run down, or maybe it's a bait shop in a small <laughs> town or something like that, but they know how to cook barbecue. So that's great. That's great. So obviously, um, you know, 4,000 square miles is, is, um, is a, is a massive, um, area that you, you guys cover and one, um, specific area that I think that, the, the evolution that fiber is bringing is that it, it, in telehealth. And I was just, I was just curious. It's like, you know, we're, we're sort of entering this, this, this phase where healthcare from anywhere and in the past it's been a luxury, but I think now it's, it's evolving into a necessity. And, and I was just wondering, I know we're in the, the early innings. Is that something that the, the, the rural communities in your area are embracing? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I would say that a lot of the rural areas, it's more important to be able to uh, get access to doctors through broadband because there's just not always a, the population of doctors or maybe the specific specialists that you need. And so uh, there is uh, quite a bit of need in rural areas. Um, you know, a side story related to that our local hospital in one of our towns, um, when COVID hit, you know, they they needed to be able to react to that. They needed to uh, be able to, to do testing for folks, and they were scrambling to do that. Uh, what they had decided to do is convert a barn that was on their property into a drive-through testing facility. And to be able to make it happen, they needed broadband, and it happened to be that this barn didn't have any kind of facility connected to it. And so, of course, they called us. We have a close relationship with them. They they know, uh, you know, what we've been able to do for them in the past. So they called and they said, hey, you know, we're, we're getting this thing deployed. We're trying to uh, do this quickly. And, you know, we know that you just can't get cable in the ground quickly, but what can you do for us? And so we put together our team and, you know, try to figure out what, what we could do. And I think it was three days that it took us to get network constructed and get the broadband access to that facility so that they could uh, be connected and, and perform that testing there in that barn. So it's uh, an example of how community-based companies, cooperatives are always looking to help each other. We're all in this together kind of thing. Uh, we'll scramble and, and make things happen because it's not just a, 
a service that we're we're selling to somebody it's it's our community and it's our uh, residents that we're trying to take care of in this yeah you know patrick it's it's crazy like all the different stories that we hear was really awesome to show how americans sort of just rolled up their sleeves especially in the real communities and were able to sort of you know work together to to you know get around covid because it mean it was it was crazy for a couple of years just in terms of just folks um, needing that connectivity just for survival. You bet. We, what happened here is our service orders went through the roof. And uh, of course, we're dealing with our own staff and COVID concerns and, and trying to keep everybody healthy. But there was no way we could delay uh, hooking people up to the internet because what's happening is they're having to leave their workplace and work from home. Uh, we dealt with grandparents that uh, needed, uh, you know, they needed connectivity because they couldn't see their grandkids and they needed sure. to, to finally get on the internet. Uh, we had a bunch of students. We worked with uh, all of our area schools to make sure that students were hooked up either in their home or we deployed some hotspots near the school so that, uh, students that didn't have access to any internet to go there and be connected and participate in their schoolwork because schools were shut down. So it was so busy that, uh, you know, you talk about roll up your sleeves. I, I had to put on a tool belt, you know, and go out there and, and help our guys uh, do some of our installations, which if you ask our guys, they'll, they'll laugh and they'll tell you <laughs> I was the, the least effective technician out there, but it was just something to help. And so it was so great for me to firsthand see what we were doing, how critical it was to uh, just people staying connected in a time that was a little scary. And, you know, the world was changing so much, but to see how relevant our product was, was, was really important. So even though that was a bad time, I was thankful to, to go through that and see, uh, you know, the good parts of, of what happens when we all pull together and, the value of what the service that we provide. Well, right. It's one of those things where you, you almost feel, you know, hesitant to say that there is a silver lining, especially for the broad bin industry, because it highlight highlighted the importance of, of bringing connectivity to everyone. And I think what it did is it shined a light on just the lack of service and, and the absolute need for it. And I think that, um, you know, that sort of, is a nice segue in, into the next topic, which is funding. And um, I saw just a few weeks ago that uh, the NTIA released a map, and, and Texas had yet to submit their their um, all their paperwork. And then I just saw we're we're actually recording this episode in in mid July. I just saw that Texas, along with with all the other states and all the other communities, had now submitted their plans to the NTIA and the um, you know, the billions of dollars that, that are going to be available. How important is, is getting access to that funding? And, and will, will your area be able to participate? Yeah, I wish I knew the answer to that question uh, about being able to participate. Well, I'll tell you this. We're going to go aggressively after the funding. Um, fortunately, this the original service area, the 4,000 square miles, uh, it is almost 100% fiber to the home. Uh, we've been able to participate in some of the uh, traditional funding programs, universal service fund, uh, financing through the rural utility service, 
And we were able over the course of our history to upgrade our network and get fiber of the home to, to 99% of it. Uh, we do have a, a few outliers that are just really, really far uh, off of the, the fiber footprint. And so we serve them with some fixed wireless product. But 99% of our subscribers are fiber of the home. So we really don't need any CapEx type of funding to expand in our existing service area. But what we are looking at is the fringes. <clears throat> sure. And so, you know, a lot of them are towns that were served by bigger nationwide carriers, but they're towns that are not really, you know, big cities. They're just uh, towns of five to 10,000 population. And the incumbent carrier there has never really uh, provided much broadband. So they're dealing with, you know, old copper plant, DSL services, things like that. So we're trying, we're hopeful that, uh, that these areas will qualify for the various funding. Um, some of it we've already applied for the RUS reconnect funding and we're waiting on that to see if that gets approved. Um, of course, the, the bead money that's going to come down, we're looking at that, uh, waiting on, uh, that application window to open. So yeah, we'll, we'll be participating in all those funds and hopeful that we can use it to leverage. Uh, the footprint that we already have to expand broadband services. Uh, no, that's great. And, and you know, it, I think it, it just reemphasizes the importance of having a, a local um, broadband provider because you're right. A lot of the, the, the larger carriers serve the areas, but you know, it's, you know, it, the, the service is woefully a, uh, inadequate. And so it's one of those things where it's when someone has sort of a um, skin in the game it's like I think that uh, you know these larger companies have so much in terms of territory, but when you're looking locally, um, you know where the areas that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the street knowledge that we have, uh, you know, down to communities. Uh, there's there's this one town that's on my radar. It's called Fluvanna, Texas, and the population there's probably seventy five. It's just really really small, but you know they don't have very good broadband there. So we're trying to figure out how can we get them uh, quality broadband. So that, that's, that's the level of street knowledge that we have as a, a community is, you know, with a population uh, under a hundred is one that that's on our radar and, and a problem that we're trying to solve. So Patrick, as, as a, um, as a local carrier, um, you've got a, a board of directors um, that so sort of serves two functions. Uh, one in the sense that they're an ambassador for Polka, but also, and more probably more importantly, is that they're an an advocate for the consumers. Could you talk about their role and, and how important they are in terms of of being um of a voice for the community? You bet. I it's one of the great things about being formed as a cooperative. Uh, you're member owned, and part of our bylaws is that you you have uh, elected officials that come from each region of our service area and uh, those those elected officials form the board of directors there's seven members on our board of directors and they're my bosses and we meet once a month to discuss uh, the business of the cooperative but these uh, these directors they're community members and they're uh, farmers they're businessmen um, and so they're just connected and they hear locally uh, what's going on, wh where there's needs, uh, 
and they care about it because it's their community and they bring that into the boardroom and we figure out how to solve those problems. So, um, just love working with these guys. I think that, uh, you know, if, if there's anything that's maybe odd about that relationship, it's that, uh, you know, normal board of directors, uh, is talking about profitability and how do we, how do we maximize our, our return on investment? Uh, our board of directors, sometimes, you know, they want to go and do something and we say, wait a minute, we have to actually calculate that out and see if we can make that work. (laughs) Uh, But they're just biased towards service. Uh, Understand the business and that we have to, uh, you know, keep cash flow and, and, uh, and keep a small margin of profit just to make sure we stay in business. But uh, there's no uh, big concern about you know let's 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 pump ROI and let's get cash back to our shareholders. It's saying how do we provide the best service? And they all realize that broadband is kind of one of these backbone uh, uh, infrastructures for the greater economy, and so they're totally engaged in that. And it's um, just great to have those guys out there because they will. Uh, promote us, as you say, but also they'll let me know if we're not uh, meeting the mark somewhere. I'm going to hear about it from the board and uh, we'll jump on it. And, and right. It's, it's kind of like you said, you said that uh, they were uh, your bosses and they basically heard from their bosses, which is, which is the, the, the general public, which is fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Every year we have an annual meeting. We invite all of our co-op members to come and uh, you know, we get to, to hear from them directly. So it's it's a very much a member focused, member based, member driven organization. Awesome. Um, just a couple more questions, and then we'll we'll wind down the the interview. Um, one question that I that I that I like asking folks is um, workforce challenges. Obviously, you know broadband is being rolled out across the country. Um, uh, do you guys ha- have a problem with that, or is it one of those things where you're located? Um, close to a, a fairly large uh, population center, so then you've got an opportunity. Plus, you've got folks that are that are you know in the agro-industrial sort of area, and so they they're not afraid to uh, to get dirty, so to speak. Yeah, we are actually uh, pretty fortunate. I know that there's a lot of companies out there that that are having some workforce challenges. Uh, we are located fairly close to Lubbock. Texas, which has got a big university, a uh, great engineering program. So we can, we can get some technical people here uh, and, and can fill some of those uh, more advanced roles pretty easy. Uh, and then as far as the, the blue collar jobs, the guys in the field, um, you know, yeah, we've got kids that grew up on farms, uh, the Permian Basin, uh, we're part of our service area is the Permian Basin, the oil field, which the folks that work in there, uh, that area, they're used to working hard. So uh, we can get some guys that uh, we can bring in right out of high school and we can train them and they go out and they, they make incredible uh, broadband technicians. It gives them opportunities to learn new things, to learn, uh, you know, tech skills and uh, and we try to make an environment here that they want to stay. So we have uh, guys that, you know, will work here 35, 40 years and uh, retire from Pocalambro. So pretty blessed from that perspective. Great, uh, great group of people to work with. 
and uh, usually hiring for us is not a problem. <laughs> that, that's great, and you guys are definitely in the minority. And 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 sort of the same token uh, feels like it's sort of in in your your community's DNA in regards to supply chain. It seems like you guys you know, don't think in months, but in years, um, it must be gratifying for you guys to be sort of ahead uh, of the curve in that area. Yes. We, uh, supply chain is a challenge, I think for everybody, but like anything else, it's how you management, manage it. And so we, uh, you know, could see ahead uh, that certain, you know, plastic products, fiber, things like that, we're starting to come in short supply. And so we just ordered ahead and we have good relationships with our suppliers and our vendors and they would help us scramble and find things. So we just, uh, we bought ahead and we inventoried a lot of stuff. And so we've been able to weather, weather the supply chain storm pretty well. Um, sometimes we get creative to figure out a little piece part that we didn't think of, but for the most part, we've been able to continue to construct and, uh, uh, supply drops and, uh, you know, meet the customer's requirements, but we're doing that because we're just ordering ahead and holding, uh, the inventory so that, uh, we don't get caught, uh, up the supply chain, I guess. That's, that's awesome. Um, just out of curiosity, um, do you have any wins you'd sort of like share with our listeners? Could be anything from, uh, you know, that, that you've done in, over the last uh, few years that, you know, you'd like to highlight. Well, one thing that I'm really pleased with here uh, at Park Alambro, a lot of rural areas are shrinking. Uh, you know, technology, farm technology kind of drives you to be able to do more farming with uh, less people, and that depopulates rural areas. We happen to be really blessed that we've got some communities that are growing. It's a little bit of uh, just the economy changing and, and some of our communities are coming bed bedroom communities for larger towns. And okay. so we have some growth, um, you know, COVID quite frankly, that drove up adoption rates. And so, uh, we've had some growth through that. And, uh, so yeah, consider ourselves really blessed to be able to grow. Um, and then, the, the mixed blessing in that, uh, just for an example, when COVID hit, uh, our subscriber grade base, I think it grew like 16% in, the, in three months. Wow. So we had this huge uh, influx of new service orders and everybody trying to get hooked up. But during that same time period, the bandwidth demand on our network doubled. Um, so not only were there more customers we were hooking up, but the people that were using our network were doing a lot more on it. So uh, fortunately with fiber, the home infrastructure, with planning ahead, we were able to meet that demand and, and we didn't have to worry about uh, anybody being choked uh, on a shared network. But uh, you know, that's the thing that is a blessing and a curse because it tells you how important your product is and, you also have to make sure that you just stay ahead of that curve. Absolutely. And and so that brings me sort of to my next question, which is, you know, 4,000 square miles. Um, I, I'm sure it's been totally smooth sailing and you haven't had any challenges, but uh, 
if by some chance, by some miraculous chance, you've had a few challenges, I would love it if you could sort of highlight those and how you kind of address those. Yeah, the the moments of terror that we have, <laughs> I uh, love that, are are created, uh, you know, by a backhoe or something like that. Fiber fiber cuts, those kind of outages, um, boy, they're tough because you know you're if you knock a customer down that you got a customer that's disappointed and you know, usually those, uh, those fiber cuts don't happen at the most convenient times. Sure. Um, and so, but fortunately, again, uh, we've been able to design our network with a lot of redundancy in it. So, uh, we've had times when our fiber has been cut and no customers lose service because it's just on a ring and it goes around the other, uh, the other side of the ring and we don't have to have any outages. So it's, uh, you know, it's things that, that we're constantly thinking about is looking at the robustness of our network, making sure it has redundancy, rings, backup Absolutely. power, uh, things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then recently you were part of a panel discussion at, at a, an event in Texas. Could you talk about that and share with our audience how important it is to collaborate with other communities and broadband organizations in Texas? You bet. Uh, yeah, our association that, uh, that that we had done this panel discussion, it was the Texas Statewide Telephone Cooperative, which is uh, goes back quite a ways. And it's basically a, a group of the uh, small telcos and cooperatives in the state. Uh, our, our meeting had a lot to do with the political, the, uh, the, the broadband funding opportunities that were coming up. But our particular panel discussion was focused on operations and um, what we do uh, to make sure we avail ourselves of, of opportunities that we're in broadband, make sure we grow that part of our business. Um, and so it's really uh, and a pretty engaging discussion from all the membership about, uh, you know, what do you do to make sure that you uh, stay ahead of the curve with broadband and the challenges related to that are sometimes in our particular industry segment, we're highly regulated on the phone side. So sometimes we have these rules that tangle us up around the legs when we're trying to move forward with the broadband. So we talked about how to be uh, innovative, creative, how other people are solving those problems. And that kind of feedback uh, is invaluable to us. So we're, we've got really strong relationships with our uh, fellow cooperatives. Uh, I'm talking with a different manager every week about uh, how they're solving problems. We share uh, facilities, we swap inventory uh, to help each other out. So it's a great network of people to have. That's, that's awesome. And, and in terms of solving problems, that, that leads us to sort of our two final questions. So I'll start with our back to the future question. Patrick, if I give you the keys to the DeLorean and you get to go back in time and whisper something in your ear or someone else's ear to make the journey uh, that you've been on a little bit easier. What's something that you would, would either tell yourself or someone? <laughs> That's a great question. I, you know, starting my career on the engineering side and really starting uh, before broadband was a thing, uh, when, when just internet connectivity became a thing and we were dealing with dial-up modems, we looked at the network saying, okay, well, this is a phone network and we're going to let people add uh, internet to it. And internet's always a secondary thing to the phone service. Um, you know, we knew that the internet would be a big deal 
but the growth of demand for internet and the growth of demand for bandwidth has been one of those exponential curves, which is really hard to predict. And so I look back and I think, man, we, we knew that, that it would be big. We just didn't realize how big. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, we invested in fiber, but we didn't predict all the time how much fiber we would need. And so if I could go back, I would tell myself, hey, over over plan these networks, get a lot of fiber in there, plan your optics to provide big broadband because it's coming. Right. It's almost that, that it's like it's big. No, it's bigger. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really big. <laughs> right. It's almost from from Jaws. We're going to need a bigger boat. Exactly. That's a perfect, <laughs> perfect uh, meme for where we're at in broadband. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> awesome. And then I, I would love it if, um, you know, if I can give you the, the crystal ball and if you could look three to five years into the future, what do you see happening for your communities um, in, just in terms of, of things uh, you're excited about? Yeah, well, it it's related to my first answer. Um, you know, there there's no limit to what's coming that's going to drive future broadband consumption. And in our area, uh, connectivity allows people to live in a rural area and enjoy a rural lifestyle, but still be connected, still be able to work in a sophisticated tech job, um, you know, still be able to produce. Uh, So I think, you know, the crystal ball that I'm looking at, I'm saying, We've got to be ahead of this. I'm hoping that the policymakers and the folks that have influence over the way that uh, all this uh, state and federal funding that's coming out for broadband have the foresight to say, man, if we've got this kind of funding opportunity, let's make sure that we drive fiber as deep into rural areas as we can, because that demand curve is, you know, as you say, we're going to need a bigger boat. So let's build fiber. Let's build it deep into the rural areas and uh, really plan uh, for that future and facilitate the future economy in these areas as well. Awesome answer. Um, Patrick, thank you so much um, for visiting with us today. It's always exciting learning about um, Texas and, and all that you guys are doing to, to close the, uh, the digital divide. Truly appreciate your time. Yeah, Joe, come see us someday and we'll, we'll find you some Texas wine. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you later.